We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, Packer Nation, and welcome inside another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host today, Nick Schmidt, and I am joined today by Mike Wedland. He is filling in for Jacob today. Jacob cannot be here. He got a promotion at work, and so he is off doing training and unable to be with you guys today. But Mike is here. He is filling in. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And also, a quick congratulations to Jacob as well for his promotion. That's always a cool thing. But I'm excited to be around and let's talk some Packers. Absolutely. And before we get started today, Mike, I want to give a quick shout out today to Andrew and Andrew. Please forgive me if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong. Pascalis? I, boom, I, I, I swear I'm pronouncing that wrong. But Andrew messaged us, messaged us today on Facebook. He has been listening to us since the start, and he is listening, Mike, all the way in Sydney, Australia. That is awesome. Thank you, Andrew, for letting us know. Thank you for listening and following and supporting the Pack-A-Day podcast. We really appreciate that. So just a big shout-out to Andrew. And now we will get into the Pack-A-Day podcast today. So, Mike, let's move into this weekend's game against the Lions. So we're on the road this weekend in Detroit. I haven't looked at the spread. I will see if I can look that up quick. But just going off of last year, 
lost twice last year to the Lions. Now, granted, both of those games, Brett Hundley started and not Aaron Rodgers, and so we can maybe assume that the outcomes would have been different had he been playing. Uh, but all-time, the Packers lead the all-time series 177. So 30 games up on the Lions. And since 2010, they've played 16 times. The Packers are 10-6 and six in that stretch of a 10-year period. And so the Lions this year, they, they come into this weekend 1-3. Their only win is a head-scratching win against the Patriots, who I would say, I don't know what you think, Mike, but I don't know what to make of them so far this year. I figured that would be a game that the Patriots would win. Obviously, they didn't. And I just came up with a few quick numbers here, Mike, and I want to get your take on this. So, in the four games the Lions have played this season, they are giving up an average of 28.5 points a game, and they're only scoring 23.5 points a game. And in their losses, they are giving up 34.5 points and only scoring 22.5 points. So you look at those numbers, especially in games that you know they've struggled in, and I would expect with the way the Packers have been playing, this isn't going to be an easy game for the Lions you like to see that high number of 34.5 points, but as we've talked about this week, Mike, Green Bay has been struggling on offense. They've only been averaging on offense two touchdowns a game. So what do you make of these numbers, and what do you expect to see this weekend out of the Packers' offense? Do you expect to see them struggle a little bit, or do you think against this Lions team that is struggling points-wise – you know, do you expect to, to see the Packers really, you know, rack it up a notch and uh, and get the offense going? I think it has to be a little bit sharper than we've seen. I think Aaron Rodgers, if he practices more over these uh, these this week, I think that's going to help a lot. Also, playing inside on turf is going to help a lot, especially with Jimmy Graham, since he's played most of his career when he was in New Orleans in a dome as well. And Detroit's defense, I'm not too scared of them. Outside of Darius Slay, who is in a weak corner. And Zeke Ansah, who's been banged up, I, I don't. Nothing of that really scares me. They're kind of a throwback group in the linebacking core with guys like Jared Davis, and they're a team that you, if you can get them in space, they can have some struggles with them. So I think it's there for the taking if the Packers eliminate the mental mistakes, the drop passes, the missed chip blocks, things like that. And I think if they can come out sharper and have a game plan that they stick to instead of changing every other drive, it seems like I think they should go do pretty well offensively against the Lions. I. I really don't, nothing scares me about that defense. And, you know, I I tend to agree that there's nothing too terrifying about the defense. I guess I'm still just very concerned about the offense of Green Bay. You know, they seem out of sorts. They're not obviously meshing as well as they can be. I do think that this will be a game where they the offense can be really put together. But, you know, I, it... It's a division game, so I personally, I I take numbers and statistics and everything, and I really just kind of throw them out the window with division games because you know you're always going to get, you know, division opponents best so far, you know in games. So just a quick look at Matthew Stafford's numbers through the first four games. He's completed 112 of 165 passes. That's roughly 68% for little over 1,200 yards. He's thrown eight touchdowns and five interceptions, and I believe 
four of those came in week one, did they not? I, I believe that's yeah. correct. So in the last three games that Stafford has played, he's only thrown one interception. Green Bay's defense this past weekend, shutout. I always give props to shutouts because they are so hard to get in the NFL. I know that we were playing Josh Allen, and he's a rookie, and he looked really rookie-ish over the weekend, but you still got to give credit. So Green Bay's defense, the last six quarters of football they've played, they've given up a grand total of three points. And the three points they gave up in the second half to the Redskins came after Green Bay turned the ball over in the fourth quarter when they had to go for it on fourth down deep in their own territory. So it was pretty much a given that they were already going to be able to be in field goal range. Mike, this defense, over the last six quarters, has played really well. And do you expect to see that continue? Because, I mean, here's the, here's the thing. is Matthew Stafford is miles ahead of Josh Allen and you know that's not to say that Josh Allen is bad he's just a rookie and that's to be expected and in my personal opinion I would still take Stafford over Alex Smith so do you expect to see this defense struggle a little bit since they're playing Stafford or do you expect to see them continue to play at the high level they've been playing over the last six quarters I think it's going to be a little bit of both I think they're going to play at a high level but I think they're also playing the probably the best offense they might see this year as far as pure talent. When you look at Detroit, they have that great receiving core with Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, as well as Kenny Galladay. They have a running game for the first time since Barry Sanders. And Matt Stafford's the best quarterback they'll have faced to this point. Bar not, I don't care what anyone says about Kirk Cousins, Stafford's the best of those two. So I think there will be some struggles as far as giving up some yards, maybe a big play down the field a little bit, but I think... The aggressiveness that this team has shown the past six quarters, as well as the second half of the Bears game and the first half of the Vikings game, I think that's going to help a lot. The The offensive line for the Lions is good, not great. So I think there's going to be ch- uh, plays there to be made. I think it's going to be more, can they slow down the on this fast track in, in on this turf? Can they slow down the speed of a guy like Golden Tate in the slot or Marvin Jones or Carrion Johnson? Yeah, you know, and, and Mike, I think it's a really interesting question. I personally feel that Green Bay's defense this year is very undervalued. Aside from the first half in Washington and the fourth quarter against the Vikings, they've played really well. And, I mean, you you look at the first half of the Bears game, some of that, you know, they really only gave up 16 points in that game because seven of them came from a defensive touchdown why do you think that Packer fans, I, I mean, I guess this is just my perception. I feel like Packer fans feel that this defense still is just the same old thing that we're used to seeing with Dom Capers. But aside, like I said, from that first half against Washington and the fourth quarter against Minnesota, they've been lights out as far as not allowing the opponent to really score. Why do you think that... You know, I feel like fans are underselling this defense. I I just want to get your thoughts on that. No, I agree. I think it's being undersold a lot because we've seen so many years of the same old, same old of lackadaisical secondary play and struggles in the and on the edges and missed assignments and bad communication and all of the things we saw that were trademarks of the last three or four years of Dom Capers defenses. And so I think seeing something. We saw some passive play from the secondary a couple weeks ago in the first half of the Washington game. 
But we saw the aggressiveness of Mike Pett, and then and that is now starting to translate over to the defense. You see guys like Kenny Clark being just a monster in the defensive line. You saw Ha-Ha Clinton Dix unleash a big hit and make an interception to try and drive on the football. So you're seeing that personality starting to change from the down capers, strategic, more methodical style to the Mike Pettin aggressive in-your-face type movement. So I think as the season goes on, they're going to get more and more respect. And I love what Wes Hotkowitz pointed out during the game that the Packers defense jumped from 23rd to 6th following that Bills game for just because how good they were in yards. And so I think the way that they have that they have shown they're going to get better and better, I think they're going to get that recognition as the year goes on. But once we once we kind of get away from being scared of it reverting back to the Don Capers, ways, I think once, if we see consistent improvements, then I think they're going to get the credit they deserve. I think turn into the top, top 10 defense that, that at least the talent dictates that it could be. Yeah, and you know, you brought, you just mentioned it here. Yes, thank you. Um, you mentioned that from the secondary play. Now, the corners, they've looked pretty good. You know, Jair Alexander had his first interception, and he just seems to be just getting under everyone's skin on on offenses. He is in their face. He's playing really well. Josh Jackson's been playing really well. Tremont Williams has been playing well. What we've seen a struggle a little bit with is the safety play from HaHa Clinton Dix and Kentrell Bryce. Two weeks ago when they played the Redskins, they were a major reason why the defense got burned in the first half. Now, Josh Allen this past weekend, it didn't seem like he could throw the ball down the field to save his life. You're playing Matt Stafford in a dome again this weekend, and he can throw the ball downfield with accuracy. And if you're not playing the right coverage from your safety position, you are going to get torched. Are you worried about the safety play coming in this weekend against Matt Stafford? I'm not worried about HaHa Clinton Dix. I think I think he's kind of got, got an unfair rap over the past few uh, weeks. He, he was bad last year. We can agree on that. But he's he's been always been a signature, positionally sound, and the, the aggressiveness and drive he's shown against Buffalo, I think he's going to help a lot, especially against a bigger receiver that they're going to face like Kenny Galladay this week. But if they target Kentrell Bryce, that could be an issue. Uh, we saw against Buffalo, they moved him more toward the line of scrimmage, put Jermaine Whitehead back there, who's a little better in coverage. So I think there's a chance to be taken, but I I think that if that if the aggressiveness continues from what they've shown in the past six quarters, literally just the attitude that we've seen, I think it's going to help a lot. You're going to have help over the top. We probably will see Rashad Breland active this week, which will help a lot as well. He can kind of play that boundary on the other side. If Kevin King can play, that's going to help take away an option as well to an extent on the perimeter. So I'm not as worried as most people will think about the safety play. I think as long as they're put in the right spots to succeed, I think they all have legitimate talent. I think Kendrick Bryce is a potential starter in this league if he's used the right way. And Ha-Ha Clinton-Dix, I think he is unfairly maligned. He's, he's still rated number three by Pro Football Focus, which I think help, uh, shows a good amount about Maybe some bias from other people, including me. I'm I'm biased. I, I am a fan of his, so I think he's better than I probably think he's better than others. But I I think the secondary has become a strength of this team, and I think they're going to play pretty well against the receiver as long as they can get their hands on them and really not let the over the top coverages get mistake get mistaken. All right, and so one last thing about the game before we move on to a slightly different topic here. The Packers called a grand total of, I believe, 76 plays on offense last weekend against the Bills. 
27 of them were called designed run plays. That's not as much as I would like to see. Do you think we'll see more of an emphasis on the run game this week? And do you and do you expect to see this still this three back rotation that Mike McCarthy has been using, or do you think one of these backs is is eventually going to get the majority of the work? I think there'll be more runs. I think there actually might have been more called than what we saw actually get executed because I, I wonder how many were audible out of or or, or RPO that got changed to a pass. I, I I need to watch the tape again on that one to see for sure. And I do think they're going to keep the three backs, at least in this early portion of the season. I think once we get to November, December, we'll see uh, more snaps for Aaron Jones on those plays, especially in the, uh, Jamal Williams in the fourth quarter to kind of grind out some games. I think the snaps will change a lot more later in the season when, once the weather cools down and you need to have that bell cow back. I think right now all three running backs bring something different and something positive to the team that it's good to have that mix and match, make the defense guess and think a little bit more. And I think they'll they I think they'll run more against Detroit. You want to keep Matt Stafford on the sidelines with that passing game, and I think they're going to run a lot at Zeke Ansah. I think he he's a he's a good pass rusher. He's one of the best, but he has at times get caught going upfield way too quick. And I think if you can exploit that with a guy like Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams, that they can break some break some good ten to fifteen yard runs. And if Aaron Jones's case, maybe break a home run. And so one other quick thing I just thought of so. The Packers receiving core has had some injuries. Randall Cobb didn't play last weekend with a hamstring injury. It's unclear right now as if to as if he to as if he will play this weekend. And Geronimo Allison is still in concussion pro- protocol. If neither of them can go this weekend, your starting wide receivers are Devontae Adams. And Jimmy Graham, who's not even really a wide receiver, but he can play like one. And then it's your three rookie wide receivers. If Cobb and Allison can't play this weekend, does Mike McCarthy move Ty Montgomery out to the wide receiver position just because he can play that to help fill that gap a little bit? I don't think so. I think they're going to continue to use him. They'll motion him out of the backfield into the slot, but I, don't, I think they want to keep that an element of surprise whether how you line up and how you move them around that they have. I think MVS is going to get a lot more sass in the slot if Cobb and Allison can go. And from all reports, Cobb was nowhere near close to being able to play on Sunday. So that makes me a little nervous about this week. And if Geronimo can't get cleared because that, that was a nasty hit he took, that does make me very nervous about this receiving core. I think because uh, Equinemia St. Brown never saw the field on offense. Javon Moore only saw 11 snaps. I think there's a decent chance that you'll see all three tight ends come out there, and you'll see Marseille's listed in line. You see Graham on the perimeter. You might see Kendricks as an H-back slot uh, guy a little bit too. And maybe even some Aaron Jones out on the perimeter as well as a, as a receiver. You can use his elusiveness. So I, I do that, I do have some concerns about the receivers if the top, if Allison and Cobb can't go. But I also think that I trust McCarthy because I, thought he, I think he's called a pretty solid season so far, despite a few hiccups to be able to overcome the odds of these guys against a, at times, overmatched Detroit defense. All right. Well, great stuff, Mike. Well, so I want to transition into something a little less season-focused. Uh, an interesting question was po- posed to me over the weekend. Uh, being a Minnesota native, I have many friends that are Vikings fans, and they got beat last week by the Rams 38-31, to 
and just in talking with some of my friends, they've pointed out, as many people have, the offensive line for the Vikings is very bad. Very, very bad. And they feel like it is their one weak spot on the team right now, even though the defense hasn't been playing up to its normal stuff. But I, you know, we're talking about, you know, how do you fix this and what can you do, right? And he had mentioned making a trade for someone. And my first response was, well, who are you going to trade for? Because offensive linemen, in my opinion, are the most underappreciated and undervalued players on the field for how important they actually are. Because the reality is, is if you have a left tackle that can block, that's worth a couple of first-round picks maybe, in my opinion. Because they're that important. So it, it brought up the point of, well, you know, who are you going to trade away, right? And who is going to trade you an offensive lineman? And he said, hey, everyone has their price, right? And I disagreed with that mostly because I don't think there is a package, and I guess when I say this, I'm speaking strictly of draft picks. There is nothing to me that you could give that would make me say, I'll trade Aaron Rodgers for that. Right now, if you're someone coming to me and giving me a quarterback that's really good, say, uh, I, I don't know, give me a young quarterback, Mike, who's yeah. who's on the up and up. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. If you give me Deshaun Watson and uh, is it DeAndre Hopkins, his, his, his wide out? Yeah, so, it, so if you gave me a trade of that, and those two, and a bunch of picks, I might consider trading them. But it's an interesting question, Mike. Is that, a, is that a true statement? Does every player have a price tag? Is there any trade that anyone could make to you that you would say, yep, I'll trade Aaron Rodgers? And I'm not talking like when we had with Brett Favre when he was you know, 37, 38, and at the end of his career. I'm talking Aaron Rodgers in his prime, even now at age 34. Is there, a tra- is there a trade value that anyone could either meet or that you would just even consider listening to for a player like Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely not. There is absolutely no way I would listen to a trade. And I've seen multiple writers, including uh, guys like, who worked with, like Vic Ketchman and Mike Spafford, who have talked about when you have a franchise quarterback, you do not let that go. You do not – you eliminate that equation from your mind. There's no, there's no way you would take a trade for an Aaron Rodgers, a Tom Brady, a Drew Brees, even in their primes. You just There's no even thought of that. That's absurd. You don't want to uh, try and completely flip your identity, your team on the other ways. And I think it goes to other spots as well. Like, there's no way I'm listening to any offer for David Bakhtiari. There is no chance that I would trade him to any team for – even for the, uh, the Khalil Mack haul that he got, there's there's some guys that I think are absolutely untouchable that they're so good and they're so valuable to their team that you want to keep them there for as long as you can, and there's nothing that could convince you otherwise if you're a GM. And if you look at other teams, like there's no way that the Vikings are going to give up Harrison Smith. There's no way that the Texans are going to be trading J.J. Watt anytime soon. Like There's guys that there's no package that you can think of that is worth it for these players. They're that good, that valuable to their teams, and it's just absurd to even come to them with an offer. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of how I felt about it, because I don't view, especially with the way the rules are these days, right, every defensive player I would take a listen for, right? And it doesn't mean I would make a trade, but every defensive player, there is no defensive player in the league that I would personally say, 
is untouchable just because the rules are so stacked against him. But offensive linemen and quarterbacks, I mean, if you've got an offensive lineman or a quarterback, I, I just I don't think there's a price tag for him because one of my friends said, well, what about 17 first-round draft picks for Aaron Rodgers? I said, no, because all that is is just 17 potential players that could p- replace a future Hall of Famer. That doesn't make sense. You know, so uh, so I I really disagree with that, but I thought it was really interesting. If you know, if there, if everybody does have a price, and for you, our listeners, let us know on Twitter, Facebook, if you think someone, if everyone has a price, maybe you're out there listening and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, you know, if if some team gave us the right deal and this is what it is for Aaron Rodgers, you'd make that trade. Let us know. We want to hear from you guys. But I, I just thought it was a really interesting question because I, again, Mike, I'm completely in agreement with you. There is no trade offer that I would even listen to for Aaron Rodgers at this point because as we saw what happened without him last year, it was not fun. So I don't know why I would ever trade him away. But, you know, so it, just interesting question. So, well, that's it for us today, guys. And Mike, how can people follow you, find your work, whatever you're doing? All right, yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter, at Mike Wendland. Uh, it's just, just my first and last name, so W-E-N-D-L-A-N-D-T. Uh, you can find my writing on Dairyland Express, uh, a subsidy of fan and We cover all things Wisconsin sports. I'm currently focusing on the Brewers with my writing, but I'll be getting into Packers stuff as the year goes on as well. Also find me on Packers Talk. I do bold predictions every Saturday morning, so look for that as well. And I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter, so if you guys comment, I do I do respond as well as I can. I'll be sharing a lot of articles from other people as well, and just so on and so forth. So just find me on there. Awesome, and Mike, you and I talked about this before. I we're both really excited for the Brewers. I know not every Packer fan listening to us is a Brewers fan, but man, when you've been a Brewers fan, it's it feels like it's been forever since we've just been in the playoffs. So I know you and I are excited about it. And so we're pulling for the Brewers. But And, Mike, when is the next time you're going to be on the podcast? I will be on again Saturday morning with Tyler Grezegorek. So we'll be we'll look for that Saturday morning. Uh, every, it's every other Saturday for us. So we'll be recording this week as well. Awesome. All right. Well, and you can follow me. I am Nick Schmitz at SportsSmitty on Twitter. If you guys didn't like my rant and rave from yesterday about the Packers offense, you are welcome. You don't have to listen to me for another two weeks. If you liked it, well, sorry, you got to wait another two weeks before you get to hear from me again. That is all the time we have for you today, though. And as always, go Pack Go! At the midfield marker in third down. Snap to Rodgers. Rushes on. Steps up. Scrambles left. Lots of side. Montgomery wide open. Sideline. 15 to the 10. Inside the Buffalo 10. They're going to mark it just outside the 6-yard line. 42-yard pass play. Packers third down. Goal to go to 3. Rodgers looks it over. Out of the shotgun. Takes the handoff to Montgomery, puts it over to Jimmy Graham, left side of the pylon, touchdown! Jimmy Graham enjoys a Lambo leap. Rogers under center, Jones alone back. Handoff Jones, oh, left side, 35, outside the number 40, left side by 45, 50, into the 45, taken out of bounds, near the Buffalo 40-yard line. 
29-yard field flipping play. Second down for the Packers, 13 yards to go. Receivers left and right out of the shotgun. Rodgers with Jones to his right. Takes the snap, looking left. Looks the middle, pops it over the flat. Right side, Jones gets a block. He's to the 20, down the numbers, to the 15. Near the 13-yard line, first down, and the Packers are in the rail red zone. 17-yard swing pass. Current drive, eight plays, 80 yards. Out of the shotgun, Rodgers looks it over. Slot left, single receiver right. First and goal, Give Jones around the left end, makes the turn, bulldozes his way, hands off, touchdown! Aaron Jones, a Lambo lead to the south end zone, stands its 12-0 Packers! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.